Welcome back to the Elon Musk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Musk podcast, where we cover Tesla, SpaceX, Twitter, Neuralink, Boring Company, and everything else Elon Musk. So please take a second, hit the subscribe button, so you can get daily updates about everything Elon Musk on your podcast player of choice. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I have with me Neil Thorne today, and we're going to be talking about SpaceX's Starship and the latest news down at Starbase, Texas. How are you doing today, Neil? Good, Will. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So we had a static fire of 31 engines at a Starbase recently. Did we? Of the Starship. Oh, I must have missed that. Booster 7 prototype. Weird. <laughs> I hope not. So many things are happening. It's easy to miss. No, I definitely saw that. That was incredible. So much fire. Yeah. <laughs> so much power, so much fire. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a 33 engine static fire. Elon Musk said that they didn't fire two of the engines for, we don't know, really know the reasons at this point. And one of them got shut down right, right before they fired. They shut that yep. one down on purpose. And then he said the other one just didn't fire at all. So there will be a, an engine replacement at some point and uh, maybe two. Yeah, possibly. And maybe more. And Who knows? Like, and if they shut the, do you think they shut the one down on purpose to test to see what it would do if there was a failure before the flight? Do you think it's just a test possibly? Or do you I think would, that was I another? would think that they've done that already. I would think they would, do, they would do that at McGregor when they're testing the engines. They would figure out how to test that sort of stuff. I think that the they shut it down because they recognized a problem with it. That's what I'm assuming too, yeah. Because there's been speculation that they did it on purpose because there was they were doing a test. And I wanted to get it out there that there was a possibility, a slim possibility that, that was a chance. But more than likely, they saw something wrong with it and were like, this is going to mess everything up. Shut it down before we do this static fire. Yeah, it could have been automatic forward. too. It could have been a computer that shut it down. Yep. Which, let's face it, computers are going to be able to react much faster than humans that do a problem and have a set number of parameters that they'll operate under, and uh, there's no questioning. So my guess is that a computer shut it down. Yeah, that's my assumption as well. We'll never know. It's really. a very good thing. Yeah. It's a very good thing. Very yeah, good we thing. Don't want, now, we I don't did want tweet. I did tweet Elon asking him how many engines. He said that it still had enough engines to make it to orbit. So I tweeted him how many engines does it actually need to get to orbit. He has not responded yet. So we'll see if that ever comes through. Yeah. And if they can make it with 31 engines, that's a fantastic thing because they're going to be trying to fly with 33. And if something does happen to go wrong during their first orbital flight test, it's all right. They should yeah. shut off an engine. Yeah. The static fire we saw, they said, was about 50%. A little less than maybe than fifty percent power, and they plan to launch at about ninety percent power. So if you lose three engines, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Yeah, if you lose three engines, you go up to ninety-two percent power, and they compensate. Yep, that's nice to have that ten percent gap where you you can go a little bit stronger on the ones that aren't that are running to compensate for the ones that don't. Yeah, it's a great fail-safe mechanism. 
by SpaceX and their whole engineering team over there. They've thought of everything and they go to orbit all the time. That's the thing that people don't realize is that the Falcon 9 goes to orbit all the time. And the Falcon Heavy, which has just a few engines less than the Starship, goes to orbit. And so they know how to do it and they know they know the parameters that they need to work under. Yeah, of course. So the even though these are brand new engines. Falcon 9 having nine engines, so 27 on three boosters instead yep. of the 33 here. Yeah, just a few less. <laughs> just only, <laughs> only a few. It's such a, it's such a weird thing. Yeah, yeah, just a few. It's now, such a weird you, thing to talking are, about it. These engines being much more powerful than the Falcon yeah, 9 engines. And, and they're not tested as many times as the Falcon 9 engines as well. Although they do have a rigorous test schedule, Falcon 9's been in operation for, what, 10 years or so? Something yeah, like that. a little bit more than that, I think. So, so yeah. So they know the Falcon 9's engines parameters and these new ones, the Raptors, they're, uh, they're relatively new in the span of time that SpaceX has been operating. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, tested, but not tested. Yeah, they know how to much. do this stuff. Yeah, not tested in orbit yet. So, exactly. yeah, and Gwen Shotwell, Gwen Shotwell said they're going to do the static fire and then get ready for an orbital flight test. So there's a bunch of stuff they have to do in, before that, of course. And there are some... I think there's some only the engineers that SpaceX know about, but we can speculate about some of the things that will be going on in the future and like the next couple weeks coming up to a possible orbital flight test. And one of them is the deluge system. Yep. Oh, we love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, SpaceX has had a whole bunch of whole bunch of tanks delivered recently. So they're going to be boosting up the deluge system, which is of course water that they spray underneath. The rocket as it's being fired to reduce noise and as well as hopefully reduce a little bit of damage to the pad as well. Yeah, and if you're not familiar, the smoke that you see coming from underneath a rocket, that's not actually smoke. That's just vapor from the engines hitting the water deluge system. So the big plumes of smoke that are miles wide and huge, it's not smoke. <laughs> it's vapor. It's just water hitting super highly charged engines. And there's some burning going on as well, but definitely more the water vapor. But it, it also, like Neil said, it stops vibrations as well, dampens the vibrations, dampens mm-hmm. the sound. And since they do have people living nearby there, like about a mile and a half, dampening the sound and the vibrations is a really important thing, especially if you're going to have 90% engine thrust on takeoff because. What we saw so far, we saw some a little bit of concrete get destroyed from this one, but the concrete under the pad, I've noticed in a few images from RGV Aerial that there are there's no damage to the pad underneath the Raptor engine, which I was really surprised about, or very minimal damage, mm, but incredible. I saw some like around it, yeah, which is insane, but the there's damage around the pad with other concrete around the pad, but not directly underneath. Which is crazy to think about. For sure. Because that the legs both... are definitely scorched. Oh, they're charred. Yeah, yeah. It looks beautiful. And I saw a picture today. C. Nunez posted a picture where it looks like, to me, it looks like a pipe has been ruptured underneath the launch mount as well. I don't know what could have done that. It looks like it came from inside the pipe. It looks like it might have been overpressure inside the pipe or something. But anyway, easily replace it's out in the open. That's the beauty of this launch mount is that everything's out there. It's a... Uh, it's easy to access and easy to change and fix, so shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, and there's workers there 24-7 fixing these things, so 
probably next few days we'll see somebody up there with a giant pipe. Yeah, I mean it could be it could be an illusion. It might not be a ruptured pipe there, but it looks like it's ruptured to me. Yeah, I that's saw the up. image. It looks it either looks like a rupture or it's some hold down points for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely but some damage and I rupture, think they expect um, that. It looks Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, every they, so static fire, every launch is, attempt, they'll reduce all this problems because they'll figure out how to get around them. So it should be good. Yeah, that's why it's a test vehicle. Like that's this whole thing is a test. It's a test bed for future space flight because they're once they get done here, they're going to move everything over to Kennedy Space Center, and they'll have more launch attempts over there in the future. But right now, they're just very focused on this orbital flight test, which like I said before, may happen. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know. Elon said March, but didn't Gwen indicate like March as still, well? There's, yeah, but it all, it always seems like whenever Elon or somebody says we're ready for March or we're ready to go, it seems like maybe not, but I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical still of their timelines, but once Gwen said something, I was like, Ooh, okay. This is a possibility now. Because Gwen's in charge. Gwen's in charge. <laughs> Gwen's she's, she's in charge of Starbase. Yeah. She's the one who knows yep. what's going on. And she doesn't have a track record of being ahead of the game. She knows her dates are pretty set. Right. Pretty and she didn't just say it in say. a tweet. She said it at a conference with a bunch of other very important spaceflight yep. reporters and other people in the industry. So I don't think she'd be blowing smoke at all. I think she No, would it's also important to note that those comments were made before the static fire and who knows if this static right. fire brought something up in the data that they're probably still analyzing, brought something up that's going to change that. We haven't heard it, but it's possible that something changed. Yeah, it's a high possibility that we might not get a launch in March, but it's okay. April, May, June rolls around and we haven't had a launch yet. No, that's too It's long. fine because they're learning every time they do. That's too far <laughs> away. I don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait either. I would love <laughs> if we could get a March launch. That would be amazing. I would love it. But the if they do have to wait, if they do have to go through five or six more tests of the launch mount or static fires or something like that just to get it perfect, that's completely okay in SpaceX's book too. They can do they need to do what they need to do in order to have a very successful first flight. And even Bill Nelson, who's the head of NASA, said that it's great and the static fire was a success. If you have somebody like Bill Nelson in the mix saying that SpaceX is doing the right thing. I think they're on the right course. And Bill Nelson said out a tweet and that's a pretty big deal for this guy. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it's important that this orbital flight works for SpaceX. I think that the more I, that I live with this, the more I think about it, they want this thing to go across 100% flawlessly. They know how to get to orbit. They've been to orbit hundreds of times. So that's not the issue. This is not a, a new company trying to figure out orbital mechanics. This is an established company that has a new rocket. And they're going to do everything they possibly can to get this thing up there successfully without any issues. I think that's the goal. And I think anything less than that, they're not going to be very happy with it. Obviously, if something happens, then it happens. But I think that they're expecting this thing to work. Yeah. And, I, and then I, I think that Gwen's you. expecting the next flight to happen in, in two months from that point. Um, I think that they're probably expecting a very quick rollout. 
like they've got rockets backed up now, right? They've got 25 sitting there ready to go. They've got 26 about to start testing. I'm sure they've got pieces and parts of other rockets sitting in the in the build area to get going as well. And they're just sitting on them. They're not building them because there's nowhere to put them. So uh, I think that they're ready to ramp up. They've got the Booster 9 ready to go. And yeah, I think that I think they're ready to start this program in earnest. I think so too. And building the machine that builds the machine is the important part. The assembly yeah. line that builds these rockets, that's where they're at right now. They're the testing is a huge undertaking, but everything that gets these rockets to the test pad is way more important than the rocket themselves because once they get the manufacturing done, properly and they can roll these things out every few weeks man gwen said they want to do 100 to 200 flights before they put people in one of these things that's right so they only have a few years before artemis 3 yeah and they also want yeah they also want to meet those deadlines so that's only like we're talking 50 flights a year yeah including this year yeah let's see this rocket going up Four, five times a month? Yeah, if they need to make those deadlines, if they want to get 100 flights before they put people... That's what they did with... They did that with Falcon. They sent cargo numerous times to the space station before they had a human-rated capsule ready. Then they had to do... They had to do test flights of the capsule. They had to do test flights with people in them. So they sent Bob and Doug to the space station. Bob and Doug came back down successfully. And then NASA was like, all right. How brave are those guys, eh? Oh, my God. Legends. Legends, like as any test pilot is really like unbelievable risk that they take every day. Yeah. Kissing their families goodbye in the morning and who knows at that point, right? Like unbelievable, unbelievable guys. Yeah. Bob and Doug are champs in my book. I Yeah. So they're going to have to go through something like that too. Like they're going to have to send some people to orbit and then, which is, it's a possibility that they send some test pilots. We don't know who to orbit quite yet jared isaacman maybe but more than likely somebody else they'll pick somebody else because jared has a whole future with spacex that they're they probably should be worried about because he has a bunch of missions coming up and then we have what if they have to get 100 to 200 flights do they have enough faa are they cleared that for that many flights from texas i thought it was only five flights per oh they won't all go from texas for sure no there's yeah they're Probably seventy five percent build a tower, built their another tower in Florida, on thirty nine A, and then they also have pad. Don't quote me on this pad forty, in in Cape where they're planning on probably building two more towers. So they'll be able to fly from three different towers, in Florida. Before you know, that is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now there's no guarantee they're going to do two towers at forty, but there's space for it. So, quote unquote, space for it. Yeah. There's no reason why they couldn't. And they've got yeah, the, they've also got the tankers they were talking about as well. Not the tankers, the oil platforms. They've been, they've mothballed for now, but at some point they could revisit that and have those floating launches as well. Yeah. And the only problem that I can see from Kennedy Space Center is the other traffic because they're going to have to slot in times in between other launches that are going on with either their own Falcon 9s flying or other things going to the space station or satellite launches or whatever else is at Kennedy Space. Answer this question for me, Will. Who else is launching right now? Well, When's the last time they launched, though? How many contracts do they have? (laughs) Yeah. 
How many contracts do ULA have right now? Or is it all going to SpaceX right now? Everything's SpaceX, yeah. So SpaceX they're, could possibly. They're cheaper because well, of reusability. Yeah, 100%. I don't know that there's a lot of traffic down there they have to worry about. <laughs> and they're right? going to be on the pads we're talking about. Right? They That's own true. They That's own true. the pads that we're talking about building these launch mounts from. They launches from somewhere else. And even so does at the HLS. So. Yeah. If, and if they start moving Starlink launches to Starships. They won't really need as many Falcon 9 launches from Kennedy Space Center. They'll just switch them over to a Starship. Yep. So or they'll do them all the faster. Falcon 9s. Yeah, exactly. And SpaceX's Starship can hold a lot more than a Falcon 9 as far as Starlinks go. Oh, so yeah. they will, they'll just continuously launch. Yeah, there's They not just that put much the Falcon 9 inside of several Falcon <laughs> 9s inside of this and launch them all at once. Yeah, it's a possibility. Yeah, it's a possibility. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Maybe their first test article inside of a starship would be a Falcon 9. That'd yeah. be amazing. A well, Falcon 9 they're what? With- they're about four meters wide, a Falcon yeah. 9. So yeah. theoretically, they may fit three at least, if not four, in the top with some space to spare. <laughs> yeah, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> that would be, a, Obviously, that would be yeah. so funny. No, they wouldn't do that. It would be funny. I think that would be something that Elon would do as a funny goof gag kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, already hey, launched like, a car. So what next? Starship is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's there's just so much possibility at Kennedy Space Center. And there's so much possibility at Texas as well. But of course, like you were saying, there's no real, there's no real flights coming out of Kennedy right now, other than what I can see is I'm just looking at one now, Terran one from Cape Canaveral. There's Vandenberg SLC 40 Falcon nine. There's, these are all Falcon nines. Yep. ULA Delta heavy, the Cape when does that SLC go? 737. That's in March. So yeah, that's not gonna, nothing's gonna stop SpaceX. This is amazing. No, they've proven they can launch these things really quickly after each other. I think the last one was a record. Was it between the last two launches? It was like five days or something. If ULA has something to launch, go ahead, launch it. We'll just set up tomorrow and and set it up <laughs> and send it to space the next day. These things are made for rapid reusability, which has to equal rapid setup as well. They're one and the same. So I think that it's just a matter of saying, okay, we'll work around your schedule. Yeah, the only thing I can see here is Falcon 9s and Falcon Heavies and that couple of ULA launches and Starliner. Um, Starliners in April, but yeah, if SpaceX well, wants to fun. spend the money and oh, Starliner is going to be great too. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a good one. But that's it. Yeah, SpaceX. You're right. They have a monopoly. They have the starting to become of, a monopoly for sure. Um, yeah, and ULA's got to start to figure out how to reuse some stuff. Yeah, you know, because they reuse need something. <laughs> the way they're launching yeah, right now yeah, is exactly <laughs> the way they're launching right now is. It's old technology and you can't get away with that anymore. The only reason yeah. that NASA can yeah, get away true. with it with the HLS is that, well, they're NASA. Yep. So exactly. It's, it's, it's a job program. That needs, to, needs to improve. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And not just for you themselves, know, but for hundred percent agree with that. hundred percent agree with that is moving forward. It's like people have likened it to, Henry Ford, when he built the first automobile in the assembly line, and then everybody got a car. It took a little while for horses to go away, 
but then everybody had a car. And then what do you do if you don't have a car anymore? That's like where ULA and the other people are at this point, because they're just not that they're old school. They're the horses of the space flight industry. And SpaceX is the Henry Ford in the uh, sure. sea at this point. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah, looking through, I'm, it's gone <laughs> I'm from, looking uh, through all these launches. There's nothing. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. If you break down, I haven't done this math. I don't have it in front of me, so don't ask for it. But if you break down the cost to get something to orbit through this fully reusable, 100% reusable spacecraft, it's not outside the realm of realm possibility that you and I could send something to space as far as costs go, right? It's still going to cost yeah. several tens of thousands of dollars, but it's not millions of dollars, that's for sure. If we wanted to send a, a briefcase of, of our comic books up to space, we could probably do that for $20,000, $30,000 something. And that's so accessible. Not that we want to do that or not that everybody in the world should be able to do that because there's too much stuff up there. But it is, it's so cheap now or will be so cheap. Yeah, I'm just looking at if you want to send, let's just say, 10 kilograms to orbit, to low Earth orbit, it's about 0.3 mil to get up there on a rideshare, a small sat rideshare. But it says dedicated rideshare missions as low as 275, yeah, on a Falcon 9, $275,000 for a rideshare for a Falcon 9. Basically, just raise some money somehow. If you have Falcon well, 9, I'm talking about, dollars, I'm talking about. Starship, which is going to be oh, yeah. cheaper. It's going to be significantly lower. Yeah, obviously they yeah. need to fill it. There's going to be so much room. Yeah, it's like sending a sending a container ship across the ocean. You got to fill the container. They're not going to yep. they're not going to send a container ship with half the containers that are half full. That's not it's not worth the money. But if they could fill a starship with cargo or satellites or whatever has to go up there, then yeah, it just gets cheaper as the more people add on to it. Yep. To the I 150 think the, the tons. Initial, I think initially they'll do Starlink just to mitigate risk for other people's payloads. Absolutely. But then other pay, once other other spaceflight companies see or satellite companies see that SpaceX can successfully launch Starlinks, they're going to jump on board pretty soon thereafter. And I, I think it's going to be a game changer for the spaceflight industry. And there's going to be so much money rolling in that will fund the Starship and the 500 whatever launches they're going to do every year. <laughs> yeah. You know, knowing SpaceX, that's what's going to happen in the future. There's definitely people out there with more imagination than I have. Personally, I, I wonder, I question how much we need to get into space from a business standpoint. Like how many satellites do people really need up there? How much is Starship going to actually take up there? Obviously, Starlink's going to fill any gaps that, that don't have, that, where they don't have cargo, rideshare programs and stuff like that. But beyond that, certainly the ISS or whatever its successor is, we'll need cargo taken up. We need to go to the moon. We'll need cargo for that, Mars, after that. But I wonder how many satellites are actually needed up there that will fill the Starship up constantly. Yeah, because we don't see, yeah, we don't see constant flights of satellites every single day from Kennedy Space Center on a Falcon 9. It's once, maybe twice a month, something like that. Yeah, uh, which is taking up a fraction of the weight. So could you, it's, I, I what I think is happening is SpaceX is going into business with themselves here. And they're spending all the money building a Starship so they can build the Starlink, the satellite program, the whole thing. And then they're going to IPO the Starlink program 
and make money hand over fist with Starlink so they can continue building Starships. So Starlink pays for Starship, which pays for Starlink. Which pay, is this right. a big pyramid scheme? Is this what you're telling me? Starship's a pyramid I think scheme? So. I think it's an MLM, yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know. <laughs> Next thing you know, Elon Musk is going to be knocking on the door with Tupperware. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> hey, we're yeah. going to have a Tupperware party. No, it's, it seems, I mean, businesses do that all the time, though. They have separate divisions that buy other things from other divisions, and they treat them as two separate businesses, but they're basically in business with themselves. So as much as I would love Tesla and SpaceX do that already, they have Tesla parts and SpaceX rockets. For sure. Some actuators and some batteries and stuff. Yeah, batteries and, and actuators, for sure. companies work together. That's what's running the fins. They're Tesla, mm-hmm. Tesla actuators. And batteries. So, I yeah. I think the, there's some gimbling on some rockets that will be taken care of with some Tesla parts as well in the future. <laughs> I think that's what I read somewhere, but I can't remember exactly what it yeah, was. Yeah, I heard them changing over from from the old system to Tesla parts, yeah. From hydraulics to actual motors. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. If, they're, if a company's good at see. something. Sorry? Hire them. I was saying if the company, if some one company is good at something, just hire them to do it. If yep. Tesla's the best at it, hire Tesla. Exactly. Makes sense. If it works there, it'll work here. Yep. No reason exactly. to reinvent anything. Yeah. Um, so what's next then down at Starbase? We have a couple road closures that were canceled for Monday and Tuesday of this week. Wednesday looks like it's still on, but you said, uh, you mentioned Ship 26 is down there. Yeah, we've got Ship 25 on is. on one of the pads, on one of the test pads, and Ship 26 right beside it. It's become ho-hum to see two starships down there now. But at one point, we were over the moon to see two of them down there at the same time. But yeah, 25 is just, it really, it's just waiting. I think it's passed most of its tests. It needs to static fire a few more times. But it's really just sitting there waiting for 24 to get out of the way. 26 is a different vehicle. 26 is missing a few things, right? Yeah, no heat shield, no fins. No heat shield, no fins. And what does that say, though? What does that mean? Is that a tanker? Or is it a test? Is it a structural test of a new body? Yeah, it's hard to know. Numerous things. It's hard to know. But one thing for sure is it's not coming back. Not in one piece, anyway. It doesn't have the heat heat shield to get through the atmosphere, (laughs) and then it doesn't have the fins to land. So this is a a one-way trip for 26. If it actually makes it up, it could just be something they're working on land. Yeah. And I was thinking about that because I saw reports that there's different structure on the inside of the ship for ship 26. Oh, yeah. Compared to 24, 25. I read that, I think it was on NASA Space Flight Forums. And there was a, there's speculation that it is a test article for a tanker or some sort of a depot of some sort. And to everybody out there listening that doesn't know what the depot and the tanker that I'm talking about is, SpaceX is going to have to refuel the Starship in orbit in order to get the Starship to the moon or to Mars. And they're going to have to have a, a, a fuel depot that these tankers will fly to. These tankers will fly to a depot, push all their extra fuel into these depots, and then a Starship will uh, dock with that and then will go on its merry way after it fuels up. But this could be the inner workings of one of those kinds of ships because they have to, there's no room for cargo or anything like that. So it's just a, basically just a tube with fuel, like a fuel tube 
Yeah, and there's a lot of testing that has to happen with that. They need to be able to move that fuel in space. There's no gravity in this thing in orbit, so they have to figure out a whole bunch of physics there to get this fuel to move in the right way and empty itself. So essentially they're going to have, when they refuel in orbit, they'll need, I think it was 10 launches to refuel that that spacecraft in orbit. After after that spacecraft launches and pushes itself into orbit, it'll have basically one-tenth the fuel that the rocket needs to get to the moon. Or the space, the mm-hmm. other starship that comes will need to get to the moon. It's a lot of launches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you think of what Gwyn was saying, they have to do they have to do what a hundred or two hundred launches in order to make a or to have crewed flight. Are they talk? Is she talking about a hundred fuel tanker launches or depot launches, mm-hmm. or starship crew launches? Because these the booster could launch a hundred times and be completely fine with the tankers but if they only do a few crew launches or crew capsule launches every year like five or ten which seems ridiculous like just a few five or you, ten or twenty years yeah that's <laughs> just ridiculous yeah i think getting to orbit's easy i think spacex has done that many times and you don't really proving anything putting a tanker into orbit i don't right. think whereas you are definitely proving something to land this vehicle again and be consistent as where it's landing and catch it with this tower as they want to do so I think that those are the hundred launches they want to do or Gwen wants to do before this thing carries people. They want to make sure that this thing can get back down to the ground and land safely. Not land, get caught safely. Which is still ridiculous. Yeah, We'll have to see it. We'll have to see it in action. Because if all we've seen from this landing vehicle is that it landed once. And it wasn't even a good landing. Yeah, you know, SN15 like was- landed once. Actually, one of the other ones landed and then exploded. But which you don't want either. But we, I understand that they don't want to. They don't want to land it. They don't want to prove that they can land it because they're not going to land it. They're going to catch it. But you still have to prove that you can catch it, and you still have to prove that the rocket can be accurate enough in its landing to be. And I think that that's got to be done a hundred times. I certainly wouldn't get in <laughs> it before they prove that. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. So while we're having this conversation, and I thought about this a lot over the last two weeks of how they're going to. Like just the mindset shift for everybody in the spaceflight industry of, oh yeah, we're just going to drop a capsule into the ocean and have some parachutes and stuff to, oh no, we're going to do like this kick turn move and then hover you over these arms and then it's going to be fine. Like you're just going to float down and you're going to land on these arms. They're going to move you to the side, lower you down. Just a little bump at the end. Yeah, just a little quick, what was it? Five to 10 Gs or something like that. I think somebody did the math. It was some decent amount of Gs Yeah, for the flip move. But it just blows my mind to think that they're going to be doing a hundred of those. And probably not, the, the tower is probably not going to survive every single one of those. Uh, not at the beginning, I, no. I, yeah, I'm assuming they're going to do 20 or 30 of these flights with hover landings in the ocean. Or on some sort of mark in the ocean somewhere, or in the in the Gulf of Mexico, or something. I can Just see them doing mock-ups as well. It. They've got a landing pad here in Texas, there in Texas. I can see them doing a mock-up, sort of a very skeleton frame system to aim at over the mm-hmm. launch, over the landing pad, where they can just say, "Okay, yep, we are within five feet of our mark, or we missed it by twenty feet, or whatever," before they even get close to the tower. Yeah, there's a possibility too. Yeah, if they inch closer and closer, I think they have to worry about if they're starting to land at 
they're starting to catch, I should say, at Texas is the environmental stuff. And once they, if they mess up any of the environmental stuff, the FAA might come after them or the the, the environmental yeah. groups and stuff. And that may hold them up and for years, possibly in court, trying to figure that stuff out. They must have some of that out. stuff. And I think they're going to figure it out. Yeah, they must have some of that stuff worked out by now. We've been sitting on this sort of environmental approval for a long time. They must have, it's not just, this is for the next launch. This must be worked out through for all launches. Here are the parameters you need to right. work within and what you need to protect. And anything beyond that, you're going to be fined of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. And if they continue to do it, like that was, that's where I was going to go with that is if they continue to do it, if they do it once, they're like, okay, let's. We understand, like, that's part of the prototyping and part of the landing system. We get it. But if they continually do it, if they do it, you know, five times and they haven't gotten anywhere with it and there's shrapnel everywhere and something, the environment gets damaged or some species down there get damaged, then they might have to do another callback to that. But I think they're going to be okay with it. I think they'll take it very easily because Gwyn knows the billions of dollars that NASA spends on the Starship program for the HLS. She knows that money is important and she knows that getting this right is the most important thing for human spaceflight and spaceflight in general pretty much ever, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think absolutely. I think it's the most, one of the most important rockets of all time. So I think they're going to take their time with it and get all those ducks in a row, so to speak, before they do for sure. Any sort of uh, test landings at the site. But once they figure that out, man, it's going to be crazy. And we're going to see 100 flights a year. Just catch it every other day. <laughs> Almost every other day. If they 300, 365 days in a year, it'll be every three, four days that they do a flight. They might even do a couple flights per day. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Can't wait to yeah. see it. It's interesting. I'm yeah. watching NASA Space Flight's live view right now. There are six lifts underneath the launch mount right now that i can see <laughs> so there's oh, got wow. a lot of people working under... okay and it, i know that you're gonna they're working to... on the mount not the yeah oh not okay. the booster not the engines one of them might okay. be work looking at the engines wow. but the rest are on the mount okay six lifts wow and each yeah. one of those lifts probably carries two or three people because you usually have to have a buddy system oh for sure i've lifts. seen people walking around so. as well on top so there's definitely more going on than that but it's, it's just interesting action. to see yeah. how much work's going on it was only a yeah it was only a few days ago what four days ago since the static fire so inspections were happening probably the day after they were gathering data and now they're taking that data and just putting it into action what broke what didn't break what do we see what's a liability here what can we fix we'll keep a we'll have to keep an eye on that pipe that you saw earlier see if they replace that or yeah. See if they make some changes to it because, yeah, it looked broken to me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely it looks, looks, looks pretty blown out. Yeah. Something happened to it. Yeah. So in the next but exciting few times. Days, yeah. Next few days, ship 25, maybe something, but ship 26 more than likely doing a cryo or pressure test. But we'll see what happens down at the pad. If the pad is more important than the ships, then they'll definitely continue working on the pad. Then ship 26 and then push these off probably till next week because there's no other road closures this week at all yeah i think you've Wednesday, hit the nail on the head so. there that they're putting their resources into the launch mount right now and they'll get back yeah, to but there's no rush on 26 you know. we gotta get rid of 24 and 25 before that's a problem yeah exactly 
All right. I think that's pretty, I think we covered pretty much it. Is there anything else about Starship that we should know about? Uh, we did a pretty good. Yeah, I think that's good. I think we're pretty good. Can't think of right. anything else right now. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're solid for now. If we get any more information, make sure to subscribe to the show, everybody, because you get more of these kind of informational overloads of Starship once per week with me and Neil, the Starbase updates. So please take a second and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks, Neil, for joining me today, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Elon Musk podcast brought to you by Stage Zero Productions. My name is Will Walden. I'm the host of the show. And if you want to help support the show, please take a second and subscribe on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on right now. And also, if you want to help us even further, we have a Patreon. So you can check out the link down below and help us out in a more significant sense. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next one.